Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. And here we are, another edition of Rush the Field, the college football podcast with myself, Scott Seidenberg, and veteran coach and scout Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. Chris, another exciting week in the college football season. And of course, Ohio State would win that game at Beaver Stadium when it looked like Penn State had the whole thing wrapped up, up 13-0. And I know a lot of people, Chris, talked about the final possession for Penn State. And is that the play you're going to run on fourth and five? The bottom line is they had opportunities to win that game long before that final drive. Poor tackling in that second half and poor execution. And James Franklin is left with a question in his head of what could have been with this season had they won that game. Yeah, and it's kind of the same old theme, though, with them. Blew the game against USC in the bowl game with the lead and he couldn't protect it. Didn't do a good job. Lost a close one to Michigan State. Now, two years in a row to Ohio State, where it clearly kind of says, look, your team is right there. You're good enough to win these games. You had the environment to win it. But, you know, the difference is, I think, in big-time games, it's the plays you don't make as much as the plays you do make. And the decisions that you do make and don't make, um, that separates it. And, listen, let's just call it what it is for all of his controversy in the offseason. Urban Meyer is unbelievable in one-possession games, one-point games even. And, you know, I thought James Franklin went on the deflective mode after the game. You know, I asked about the play call, which I thought was significant. I think you got to put the ball in the hands of your playmaker, Trace McStorley. You're right. wasn't the only thing that contributed to it, but it, it was one of them. And then he went into the talk about how we're not doing this and we're not elite, but we're really good. And, then, and he started going on to a diatribe about, you know, uh, cell phones in the meeting rooms. And I'm thinking to myself, James, did you arrive at State College uh, last week? I mean, you know, <laughs> if, if, if there's some discipline issue, there's some problems, bigger issues, that's on you, you know. So I, I think I love James Franklin. I think he's a great program builder, but he's a salesman. And that's what he does. And I don't think he's great in game day coaching management. He gets out coached quite a bit. Uh, and this is something that he's going to have to improve upon. He's got a good staff. Uh, but to me, I think they fall a little short in these big time games, which is why they're close. They're close, but not quite there. And you know what's amazing? That this game was kind of the opposite of where they had been all season. Because all season long they had started out so well or, or so slowly, I should say, in these games and then they come on in the second half. You know, the Appalachian State game, I, I think they were lucky to get a victory there because they were outplayed for the most part about most part of that game. Against Illinois, there was that score is so deceiving. They put 35 points on the scoreboard, Chris, in the fourth quarter. They were in a tight battle throughout the majority of that game. And this was the opposite it, where they played well early on, but then they just couldn't close it out late. I mean, can you make a tackle? The kid's jumping up to catch a ball at midfield, and four guys miss a tackle and allow him to run for a touchdown. It was embarrassing to watch them blow that game. Well, and look, I mean, I've said it. uh, There's been a theme, and I I don't criticize, but I do critique, because that's what I do in my main job, and 
my coaching and scouting and consulting area. And, and James, again, is an outstanding program builder. He's done a phenomenal job. When you think about where Penn State was, I know Bill O'Brien did a good job turning over a disaster, but Penn State's a blue blood program, and he's got it playing at a very, very high level. And right there, right there, if you look at them, they certainly look better um, they've they've taken the spot, Scott, that I thought Michigan would be, yeah. you know, right on the heels mm-hmm. of Ohio State. But there's a theme that I see with James. And again, it is the fact that his teams play up and down. Yeah, he was teams wasn't prepared to play against Appalachian State. They didn't play with a lot of focus and determination against Illinois. I knew they would play at a high level against Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Why? It's a big game. But there again, there's there's a little bit of loose ends and um, you can count on them maybe making more mistakes than other championship-caliber teams, which is why I don't think Penn State is a championship-caliber team. So a lot of what he's talked about in his post-game press it was true to some degree. It was maybe ill-timed, but how he said it really would have should have focused on this. He's focused on – you know what he reminded me of? And I loved him, but Al Davis was famous for this. I used to have these late-night talks with Al Davis. And Al Davis had this famous saying, you know, you know, when things went wrong in the organization, it's my fault, my fault. I should have done it myself. I should have done it myself. <laughs> you know, because that was his way of saying, no, no, it's my fault because I should have done it myself because I trusted you to do it. You're not good enough. I should have. And that was kind of a – that's how kind of how I took James Franklin's approach to it, that, you know, I'm going to stay on top. I'm going to be a maniac guy. You're going to see him – no, 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 James. You, you're you're the reason why they're falling short. You've got to correct yourself. Um, and I think those, like you said, missing tackles, not very good on defense. They're young on defense, Scott. They're going to make mistakes, but they've got to get better and got to get better in a hurry. But he doesn't really help his team out a whole lot either no. when he's got a lead and he doesn't protect it and he doesn't play to the strength of his team. And I thought Ohio State – you know, they didn't outplay Penn State. This was a game that was pretty evenly matched. And Ohio State pulled it out of the fire because, quite frankly, they were the smarter team, the better prepared team. They had that ability, that clutch gene, I call it, that's ingrained. That's the difference between Urban Meyer and James Franklin. Some may say there's other differences. <laughs> I get that. But I'm talking as coaches. There's one guy that's a championship caliber coach. And James Franklin's not that guy yet. Well, I'm looking now at Ohio State's schedule, and yeah, maybe a tough road test at East Lansing, but that's really not that tough of a game for them. This team's going undefeated, Chris, and it's going to come down to the Big Ten Championship game in which they will beat the team from the West, whether it's Wisconsin or whoever decides to come out of that you know mumble-jumble that they call the Big Ten West, and it'll be another trip to the college football playoff for the Buckeyes. I think it will be. The only thing, though, the only thing we got to remember— they did have that big win last year. We talked the same way last year. And then what was that against Iowa? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so yeah. that's the only thing they have to protect against. Do I think Indiana can do it in the horseshoe? Minnesota the horseshoe? No, I don't. Do I think Purdue's capable? No, but that's one of those games where I could see Purdue scoring some points and maybe making that, I don't want to say a threat, but you might look at that game and say, what was that? And yeah. th- then you got to go to Michigan State on November 10th. This Michigan State team doesn't look like it's capable of beating them, but we'll see. And then Michigan is in the horseshoe. So 
I think you're right. I, I think if I'm looking at it, I certainly favor them winning out. But, again, I thought that was the case last year, and they didn't get beat by Iowa. They got hammered by Iowa. So mm-hmm. I think this team's a little different, but we'll see. You know, Chris, another game that I was uh, – I'll admit I was completely wrong on was Stanford and Notre Dame. I, I really expected a closer game, and, and it was a, up until a certain point in the fourth quarter when the turnover came in, and then Notre Dame pulled away, and they wind up winning 38-17. I knew – based off of what I saw against Wake Forest, that this Notre Dame offense under Ian Book was going to be completely different than what we saw for the first couple of games with Brandon Wimbush. The trend continued here against Stanford. And now Notre Dame, who we had briefly touched on in the weeks before about the potential of them being a playoff contender, Right now, if they get past this game at Lane Stadium, which uh, I don't know how many people are thinking that this is going to be a dangerous game for them. I absolutely think it's going to be a dangerous game for them against Vatek. This Notre Dame team has the potential to have an undefeated season. Oh, they they I would say that there's um a probability, uh, certainly over 50% uh that they would likely go unbeaten. Now, You know, I thought they would win a close game. They dominated Stanford. Now, I I wonder how much of that was Stanford's being gassed in that game the week before. Mm -hmm. Big game. Uh, I'm going to tell you, that defensive front of Stanford got blown off the ball by Notre Dame. The secondary could not defend in book and the receivers. The running game of Notre Dame had success. Bryce Love was contained and then had the injury. So uh, the offensive front could not block Notre Dame. This was a dominant performance by Notre Dame. Now, with that said, and I agree with you, uh, don't sit there and think foolishly, folks. Uh, oh, Virginia Tech got uh, blown up by ODU like they're going to beat Notre <laughs> Dame. No, that, 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 that was real. They, they didn't show up. Uh, they showed up against a pretty good Duke team. I thought they would Virginia Tech last week. That's going to be excitement. We're going to – it's going to be great for Virginia Tech to showcase um, uh, the Lane Stadium, Blacksburg, and whatnot. So I think this is going to be a challenge for Notre Dame. I really do. I don't think this Notre Dame team's a great team. But, boy, I think they're good. And I think that they could potentially be better than good um, if, if they build off of it. If they can go and move the football on Bud Foster's defense, again, I know O'Dominion did, but that was a little different. This, is, this Virginia Tech is going to be ready for it. If they could do that, there's no doubt. We talked about it last week. This schedule, which is normally a just a bear of a schedule that Notre Dame has, it's just, you know, Pitt's not very good. Navy's not as good as they have been. Northwestern is, is on well, the Chris, road. Chris, the toughest challenge. game is going to be Syracuse at Yankee Stadium. Florida State, <laughs> Florida State, we know their problems. At USC, you can't count them out with their talent, but they're USC that's not playing not very well, Coach. US, uh, Syracuse in the Bronx, you mentioned. Uh, let me just put it to you this way. Notre Dame should win the remainder of their games mm. and go unbeaten. Oh, they'll now, be fa- they're, they're going to be favored in every game. No win. doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Now, doesn't mean they're going to do it. you got to go out there and do it. We can talk about it. That's what we do. We talk about it. But in order for it to happen, you know, they got to play like they have. I'm excited about what they're doing offensively. I don't think Brian Kelly gets enough credit. In fact, I, I, I make this analogy, and I've said it all along, that – 
here's a guy, and again, I don't know if they're going to go unbeaten. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. But but if they do, you're talking about made the BCS championship game. I know they were blown out by Alabama. But but if I told people uh, Stanford um, would have made a BCS championship game, um, Stanford makes a, a national playoff, what would people think? Heck, what do people think now, Scott, about Stanford? How great of a program it is mm-hmm. that they've been as good as they have been. And that is 100% true. That is the expectation that Stanford is not as high as Notre Dame. But the reality is it is every bit as tough to win at Notre Dame as it is at Stanford. The academic requirements are Correct. just as difficult. The discipline issues, I don't know how many people know this, Scott. First of all, every athlete has to take calculus their first year. They have to live on campus. If there's a discipline issue, it is not handled by the football coach. No, it's handled no. by the administrator. There are a lot of things that people just don't know. I, I don't think Brian Kelly, Kelly gets enough credit because I think he does a really good job in a place where the expectations is they should play for national championships. And I say, if that's the expectation for them, that should be the expectation for Stanford. And I don't think anybody would raise their hand on both of those. So I, I think that that is not uh, – Brian has had his faults. He's had his missteps. Who has it? We've seen a lot of good coaches have it. But I think the guy's done a really good job. And I, I mention it because every once in a while I hear the, hey, they're going to get rid of Brian Kelly and get somebody better. And I'm thinking, first of all, you're not going to get it. Can you imagine, you know, Urban Meyer with, with the, the discipline issues of the past? If, if the, can you imagine him coaching at Notre Dame? That was his, you know, dream job. Mm-hmm. And that's why he passed it over for Florida. Can you imagine that? Most coaches that have an opportunity to go at bigger time programs would not take the Notre Dame job because it's a challenge. So, I don't think he gets enough credit, and I don't think that program gets enough credit for the job that they do under the restrictions that they have. Well, we mentioned Syracuse coming up later on in their schedule, and just what a tremendous job that Dino Barbers has done there uh, up in upstate New York. I think he deserves a ton of credit for what he's done with that program. Offensively, they're just as good as anybody in the country. They played such a tough game at Clemson, and the worst fears for any Clemson fan came true in that game, Chris. You know, mm-hmm. when when Kelly Bryant decides to leave the team after being demoted, the question was, well, what would happen if Trevor Lawrence ever got hurt? Well, yeah. he has to leave the game with a concussion, and all of a sudden, you're down to your third-string quarterback. And let's just be fair, the third-string quarterback at Clemson is the first-string quarterback in a lot of countries around yeah, the country, yeah. okay? Uh, but Clemson found themselves trailing. They had to score a late touchdown to salvage the victory. And now I guess Lawrence is going to start this week, but boy, I felt like if Dabo could, he would have texted Kelly Bryant at halftime and said, hey, you want to reconsider? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I think that, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I know you're kidding. I, I think he's, uh, I, I don't think that would go over very well in locker room. I think most people in the locker room, while they support Kelly Bryant, I, I think they look at it and say, you know what, um, they won't say this publicly, but but I, I've been around enough locker rooms to know that no no the guy is not with us. He's decided not to be with us. Uh, we love him for what he did, but you know when you walk out on us, you're not walking back in. I, I know you're just kidding, but but it, it, hey, you know what I kept thinking of was how about Hunter S. Johnson? We, we, we forget Hunter Johnson transferred this past off season. He's probably thinking. 
Maybe I should have stayed there. I could, I could have got the job. Because, I mean, they got – I mean, they – and Cameron Bryce is, is really – let me tell you something about Cameron Bryce. Nobody knows about him, but the coaches there told me – because I, I saw him a little bit in Ohio school tape. And, and, you know, there's just a limited – you could go there. But the coaches told me and, – and you had these conversations in the spring and the summer. And they told me – to tell me about this kid. They said, you know, this – Chris, this kid is is – He's got the it factor. I mean, this kid can make plays, and he just balls out in the scout team. And so let me tell you something. How about coming in on the third down pass, the fourth down pass? I mean, he was dealing. And so, listen, good for them. A lot of people have maybe criticized them for, hey, they weren't all that impressive. They, They, I thought they would. You know, kind of put the hammer down on on uh, on Syracuse because of what happened last year. But I think Trevor Lawrence's injury had a lot to do with it, and I think it was kind of uh, a couple of things jump out at me. Clemson's offensive line is not dominating like I thought they would. Mm-hmm. The defensive line doesn't dominate against the run. I talked about James Franklin, and just so I'm not picking on James, it's it's maybe a similar issue with Dabo. Clemson's teams don't play with the finish and the focus that, you know, you normally would like to see. Certainly no one is doing it like Alabama. I know that. But, you know, they just, you know, even with the issues at quarterback, that defense should have taken over the game a lot earlier. Now, they did late, and they won it. I think they deserve credit for beating Syracuse. Um, I've I've kind of questioned Dino Babers in that I think he's a, he's great at getting his teams up. Kind of see if a trend here, but but his team struggled last year. They struggled, but they lost Eric Dungy. So I, I want to see how Syracuse handles the rest of their business because I think they can win a lot of games the rest of the year. But to me, when I look at Clemson, I'm thinking, boy, they're not quite playing like a team that's ready for the playoffs. But they don't have to be yet. So let's see how much – see if that defense could start to dominate and the offensive line start to take over games because I think Lawrence can make enough plays in the passing game for him to where they can be that team. They need to go unbeaten. Okay, they can't have a misstep. A one-loss Clemson, in my mind, is out. Mm. The ACC very weak. is yeah. very weak, mm-hmm. and it's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt them big time. And the ACC championship game – would have been a problem. In fact, I even tweeted it out. Now that it's over, it's it's a moot point. Do you realize that if Syracuse had held on, that Syracuse would have had to lose twice in That's the right. league? Yeah, because then they would lose and tiebreaker. Then, yeah, and then I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, Pitt's not good. North Carolina's not good. Louisville's bad. I mean, you know, now NC State and at BC. My point is, is I think Syracuse, I mean, we're talking about Syracuse winning that division. That's how disastrous it could have been. But they averted it. We'll see if Clemson takes care of business. It's still a pretty weak schedule. And I think if they can get that confidence built up, and I know that they have the talent to play with anybody in the country, but they've got some work to do. And uh, they've got to be careful going forward. You know, wake this week, they'll win. NC State, they could catch a hot to Ryan Finley. But again, Florida State, Louisville. I, we talked about Boston College, but get some early points against BC, and then they're done. Yeah. You don't, that's a trouble. Duke is always a challenge. So I, I think this Clemson team's 
got some good football left in them, but they are vulnerable. Let's take a look at this week's schedule while also touching on some of the teams uh, with their performances last week. You know, I was very impressed with Kyler Murray, Chris, in his performance. What I wasn't impressed with is the sorry excuse for discipline that Lincoln Riley tried to show us. Kyler Murray was benched for three plays, Chris. That's it. That's not discipline. That's, hey, do some more stretching before you come into the game. And then the kid just comes in and throws seven touchdown passes. But now they face a Texas team, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago as, you know, them turning their season around with the victory over TCU and USC back to back after their opening season loss to Maryland. But now Texas ranked number 19 has expectations thrown on them. You see, Texas is no longer the, hey, let's see if Tom Herman can get this program back to prominence. Now it's, hey, this is the game that everyone circled on the calendar. It's at the Cotton Bowl. It's going to be the Texas State Fair. We're all excited for it. Now go out there and beat Oklahoma and show us that you belong here. Yeah, it just goes to show you how times have changed because – you, you come out of the Tulsa game and you're thinking, man, this this the one and one Texas, and then you got USC, TCU, Kansas State on the road, and they, they could they could lose all three of those uh-huh. games. Well, they win all three, and now all of a sudden you're thinking, man, how did they blow that game against Maryland? And no, I, I listen, they're, they're playing better. The defense is playing good. You know, I don't know if they can hold down Kyler Murray. I, I think it's. Uh, it's it's good. This offense is really explosive. Um, I just don't know that Texas right now is capable of scoring the type of points that they need to keep up in a game like this. Oklahoma's going to get their points. Um, this Texas defense is pretty good, but th- this Oklahoma offense can be held down, held back to a point. But this is where I think the explosiveness, and Kyler Murray's been, uh, been outstanding. I mean – they may be better offensively than with Baker Mayfield last year. Mm. So that's saying an awful lot. Um, I, I, the only team I see is West Virginia, and I just You know, they're wait. my darlings. I picked them to win the Big 12, Chris. And they're, we're, we're, listen, a lot of football left and, you know, just a slightly off uh, offensive performance by either they could lose. But we're looking at a potential showdown on November 23rd, and guess what? They'll play again the next week. They'll turn around and play the next week. Okay, you know. Great so much scheduling. Great scheduling. Yeah, great yeah, job, you know, But well. so, you know, let's go ahead and uh, you beat us twice. It's yeah. uh, it's two out of three. It's a, it's a, it's a base, baseball series. Yeah. Um, you know, so, yeah, no, I think this this will be interesting. But I do think Texas gonna, is going to play with a lot of fight. And uh, I think it's 10 points or less. I think it is a little bit closer. But can Texas score enough points? That would be my concern. If they get behind, they can't have any balance offensively. That's where I think Oklahoma could make this a little bit more decisive. Let's go to the SEC, Chris. Two big games, in my opinion, this weekend. The obvious one first, LSU against Florida. Uh, Is this the game? That LSU turns it, you know, the, the the slipper turns back into the pumpkin or whatever. However, the story goes at Cinderella for LSU. Is this is this when it finally happens, or is this going to be another impressive victory for Coach O and this LSU team not going anywhere? Well, I you know I keep keep saying it. You know, being so close to the program, I know that, that there was a lot of people, including those in Baton Rouge, that thought this team was oh they're going to lose five games. You know, they just they don't <laughs> believe in it. Um, Look, they've done their job. I I don't think Miami's all that impressive. Um, 
Auburn blew the game, but but they're not that impressive. Ole Miss can't play a lick of defense. I, I think I think LSU is better than Florida. I think they're more talented. I, I would expect them to win, I, I, but um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that you know certainly because people thought they'd lose maybe two games at this point. They're impressed, and I don't think they're the fifth best team in the country by a long shot. But there's there's a lot of you know big drop off amongst the top teams in my view. I, I think next week, I think these next two weeks tells the tale of uh, uh, really three weeks, but but really the two in particular. Going on the road to Florida, and then Georgia at home. Um, you know I don't think they're going to beat Georgia. Uh, they might lose to Florida, um, and then you got Mississippi State after that at home, and, and then of course a bye week in Alabama. So no, this is where the next four games in in five weeks are gonna gonna make this, I think, bring LSU back to where I think uh, at least where I saw them. not good enough to beat Alabama. Certainly, Georgia's not played their best ball. Uh, that is maybe more gettable for LSU than I would have thought at the beginning of the season, but I think Georgia still wins it. And I think this week at Florida is a toss-up game. So, I, I mean, I still think for a team that I thought would probably be 9-3, and three, I still think that's what LSU is going to be, uh, maybe even 8-4. and four. So I think for the folks that are now talking, well, hey, you know, LSU will be unbeaten and they, they got a great chance to beat Alabama. I No, I, I, I don't see that. I see improvement. I see confidence on the offense, and the defense is really good. Um, they, personnel-wise, should be able to beat Florida. Dan Mullen is a better coach, and we'll see if he can pull it out in Florida. That's a tough place. We'll see if this LSU offense can operate. I think, at least I thought going into it, that Auburn was a better team uh, than Florida. So the the win against Auburn was a little surprise. I thought Auburn would win that game against LSU, and they didn't. So, uh, you know, we'll see how this plays out. Maybe this is the game that LSU drops, but I, I think they're a little bit better personnel-wise. Chris, the Kentucky Wildcats have their highest ranking since like the 70s and 80s uh, yes. right now. And that's maybe there was like two seasons in that span, uh, obviously before rem, my time. Rem, rem, well, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I remember it very well, actually. But yes, go ahead. <laughs> I'm saying I, I yeah, wasn't I wasn't I, around. I, in 19, I, I, I wasn't could, around in 1976 I, for I the, could, uh, the because I love <laughs> the big season. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then, you know, 1984, I was probably a little too, too little to even understand <laughs> what was going on in that season. Yeah. But they are 5-0 and right now, and the question that everybody's asking is, should they get past Texas A&M this weekend? Can they challenge Georgia for the SEC East? Well, I, I think you hit on it. If they get by this week, they've got a, got a bye week and got to deal with the pats on the backs and then go beat Vanderbilt, which they'll do at home. Then you got to go on the road and beat Missouri. I think the the goal ought to be let's take care of this week and let's get to Georgia unbeaten. Do I think they'll beat Georgia? And let's remind folks it's in Lexington. I don't think that they will. I think that anything's possible. Georgia's quite a bit better. I think Kentucky's done a good job. I think they probably are not getting enough credit. Um, you know, Florida was a good win. Looks even better now. Mississippi State, South Carolina, good wins. But now you go on the road and win this one this week, it gets even better. Here's, here's my concern for Kentucky fans. 
you know, now I'm getting, you know, different different shows. People are calling and saying, hey, can we beat Alabama? And I'm like, you know, here's what's and happening. what, basketball? Yeah, you can. <laughs> here's what's happening. I think they're setting themselves up for a downfall. And here's my point. I think this team will likely lose to Georgia. But, you know, Missouri's dangerous. Tennessee's not. At low, bad team at Louisville. Middle Tennessee can be tricky, but I'm going to tell you, Scott, this team with their schedule is a great chance to go 11 and 1, mm-hmm. 10 and 2. And I'm afraid that because the expectations are going through the roof, that they're setting themselves up for disappointment. Like, Anything other than winning the East now is going to be a disappointment. (laughs) Well, I don't think that's realistic. I think if you go in with a chance, if you're unbeaten and you get Georgia at home, you take your chances and you just see where it goes. And maybe they do it. Maybe they don't. But I think that it it is shouldn't be the – because I'm going to tell you something. This team goes 10-2. It's a phenomenal year. 11-1. Are you kidding me? This this is this should be celebrated and should be respected, I think, based upon how, what they've done to this point. But Georgia's a better team. Georgia's not playing their best ball. Uh, we'll see on November 3rd how this plays out. But I'm excited. I tell you this, one of the things, and I know the polls don't mean anything, Scott. Um, I, I, I think I'm, I'm very curious when we, we do this in a few weeks and, the, and the, we'll see if Kentucky's winning where it goes. But – I'm going to tell you right now, Auburn at eight and Kentucky at 13 is a joke. Mm. Think about it. I mean, who's who's looked better? I mean, I've studied every one of these games on tape of, of between Auburn and Kentucky, every one of these games. There's no way you should have Kentucky below Auburn. And you know why that is. It's name value. Of course. Auburn football, Kentucky football, and, and that's just what it is. Um, I think Kentucky will earn more respect if they're able to beat A&M. If not, then people are going to say, nah, you see, there you go. Florida wasn't quite ready, and, you know, Mississippi State's not very good, and South Carolina's not very good. I, you know, Kentucky's been the story thus far. Remember, Mississippi State, and, boy, do they have a big game this week against Auburn. You talk about a quality of life of the head coach not going to be really good for the loser of that game. <laughs> but Kentucky – you know, it was Mississippi State that was going to challenge in the West. South Carolina, can, you know, South Carolina was the team that, you know, puffing out their chest. We're going to be – we can challenge Georgia. No, 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 it's Kentucky. So Kentucky's replaced them as the the surprise team in the SEC, and we'll see how this plays out. It's just been a tremendous season oh, for them. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, unbelievable season for them. Chris, before we move on, let me just say something about Vivid Seats, because when I want to go to a game, I have to make sure that I check out Vivid Seats, the online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans like me with experiences that last a lifetime. And I tell you, it's the top source for tickets, in my view, for all the live events. You know, maybe it's the baseball playoffs coming up, your favorite college game, NFL games. Hey, maybe it's a concert, uh, theater tickets. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section or the row of your choice. Yeah, it's amazing. You just log on. They help the fans find the seats to any of the favorite events. You got great prices and an easy purchasing experience. And, you know, all you got to do is go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Use the promo code INFLUENCE. 
I-N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E, all caps, for 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats. That's right. With that promo code, listeners can receive 10% off your first purchase with Vivid Seats. All Vivid Seats confirmed orders are backed by a 100% guarantee. Chris, I want to get into some issues here uh, that are becoming prevalent in college football. And we talk about Kelly Bryant and his decision to leave the program. The reason why it happened now is because of the new redshirt rule that the NCAA instituted for this season, which says that a kid can play four games and not lose a season of eligibility should they decide to transfer or should they get injured. And I understand that the coaches were the ones that fought for this because now they get a real they get a real live look at these players before they decide what to do with them. You know, so you can redshirt a guy after he plays for a a couple of games, and this way you get to see him in a game uh, situation. Or if somebody gets injured, it's good for them. But what you are seeing here with, obviously, Kelly Bryant's the biggest name of them all, is now quarterbacks especially, because those are the biggest ticket players, Mm -hmm. they're going to dictate where they play based off the playing time or the, the the change in the tide that they see throughout the first four weeks of a season. And week five of the college football season is going to become a marquee date on the calendar, much like signing day is, much like the spring games are. It's going to be called redshirt rule day or transfer rule day, whatever you want to call it. I think this is going to be an issue moving forward for college football programs. There's no question it's going to be an issue. And... To just, you know, um, piggyback off of what you said, what's great about having it from a coaching standpoint is you can play young players. Like, look at Alabama. Look at how many true freshmen they're playing in, in these blowout games. They can play all of them and still redshirt some of them so they can still have them. Now, they'll look at it and see, well, this guy's probably not going to be a four-year player anyway and, and just play them. Or for guys that maybe, you know, when you're developing them, you don't just have to just practice. You can play up to four games and still be able to redshirt them, and I think it's great for the development of young players. But as you mentioned, there's these unintended consequences of the guys like Kelly Bryant, like you said, mostly quarterbacks, but we've had a couple of others. We've had um, – I'm drawing a blank. We had a receiver uh, – uh, Oklahoma State yes. lost the starting receiver. We've had a couple of those guys. Um it's an issue. First of all, I said this when the rule came out. I don't like the four games issue. I think the definition of play, you know, if you play in a game, you play one snap in a game, that's a game. I don't like that. I think there should be a number of snaps associated with playing in a game so that if you basically, if you wanted to come in and you could technically play in seven, eight, nine, ten, mm-hmm. twelve games, yeah. if you, if, if it should be tied to snaps. So, I, I think if you want to do four games, then, then it's got to be you know thirty snaps in, in that area, uh, or you know if you got fifteen snaps, you haven't used the game yet. I, I think from a developmental standpoint, you should be allowed to do a little bit more, and, and then and then I think it would decrease the chances of a guy leaving. But in this case, I, I'm. <clears throat> I've been very vocal about it. I understand the right of Kelly Bryan doing it. And I understand the fact that he he feels like, um, you know, he, he should be starting. The job of a coach to do is, what's, is best, what's best for the team. And I'm very disappointed because I think in Kelly's case, 
here's what he could have done. Now, he didn't do it because he was mad and he was angry. And I don't know that if he feels different about it today, but I'll submit this to you and to everyone listening here. What would be wrong if I'm that kid's dad and I'm advising him in any way? Uh, I'm saying, Kelly, stick with your team. Help your team in practice. Help the quarterbacks be a part of that quarterback room. You're one play away from being the starting quarterback again. You don't know what's going to happen with an injury. You don't know a bad game. You might be the starter again. You might be the the answer to, you know, you go in at halftime of a championship game like Tua did. Who knows where this takes you? The point is, is you're in a position to where if Trevor Lawrence stays healthy or Cameron Bryce, whatever, you don't need to play. You could still protect your redshirt year, but you're not turning your back on your team. You're with your team and you're helping them. You still can preserve what you want, but you still could be there if the opening comes back because Mm -hmm. what do you want? You want to play. Well, guess what? You might be the starting quarterback in the national playoffs this year before you know it. We don't know what's coming around the corner. Last year at this time, no one, including Nick Saban, would have forecast that Tua was going to be the guy playing in the championship game. game. So you don't know. That's what bothers me in that I think that, and I did a podcast today, and folks, if, 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 if you encourage you to listen to it, if you're, I'm old school, and, and, I, and I admit it, but I went into a diatribe for about 30 minutes in the, the first part of my podcast, um, the Landry Football Podcast, mm-hmm. about how the regression of the team concept has taken place. We're seeing in the NFL and yep. we're seeing in college. And, and I understand you need to look out for yourself. And I think it's a capitalistic society in the NFL. I get all that. But this is the ultimate team game. And I think we need to look at certain things about, again, maybe uh, the define playing in a game differently. you got to have a lot more snaps. Have it tied to snaps and not just appearance in a game. And I do think that, personally, I don't know how Dab- – I think Dabble tried to handle it. And, and, and I'm disappointed that Kelly didn't say, I'm going to stick it out here, Coach. And if I get a chance to go in and be the starter again, I will. Uh, if not, uh, I'll sit there and help the team and be part of the team. And then – because what what is he going to do? What's he doing now? He's not going to play anybody play with anybody the rest of the year. Nope. He could be helping his team. He could be on the – he could be doing – and still get his year next year. But – you know, he felt like he's disrespected. No, young man, you're not disrespected. And you're going to learn in life that life's not fair. And somebody's better than you. Somebody's going to beat you out for a job. And you're going to have to learn how to suck it up and just continue to compete. And I think we're sending bad messages out there to young men. So, anyway, I, I, I don't want to go into hey, that. Well, you know what, though, yeah. Chris? I mean, look at what Jalen Hurts decided to stay. And he I did. He now, you know, com- you know, commended for it. He should be. And he got a standing ovation when he went into the game. And, and and just as you mentioned it, you don't think people are savvy? Fifth game last week he goes in. <laughs> they, they know that, right? Now, again, let's remind everybody, Jalen's got two years. Yeah. So, well, now he's going to have one. But he, he had two years to play with, so he still can transfer in December as a graduate and have another year left. Kelly is done at the end of this year, so I get it. But this is a case where Jalen's decided it's a smart move for him because, A, he could be a factor. He's playing every game. He may get 300 snaps this year when it's all said and done. So he's going to be a factor into it. He's going to be a great teammate. Uh, and the other thing is, 
I don't know, and I don't blame you out there if you're not watching it. I have to, I have to, and I enjoy watching it. Dan Enos has done a great job with improving Jalen's dropback skills. Mm. Um, now, again, I know it's not about the results and the completions, but how much more comfortable he is dropping back. So my point is, Dan Enos, the outstanding quarterback coach yeah. at Alabama, um, I think he's doing a great thing. So he's developing it. So get it. Jalen is developing his skills as a quarterback under a great quarterback coach. He's part of a winning team. And he's contributing, and who knows? He may be the starter if Tua goes down or something happens. Um, and then he can go and transfer somewhere else. Now, again, he has that option with another year. I understand Kelly doesn't. But Kelly could do der- do everything else that Jalen's doing except playing in the games unless they have to turn to Kelly. Because I'm going to tell you, if Trevor Lawrence were to go down with an injury, then as much as they like Cameron Bryce – they were going with Kelly back to Kelly Bryant. So the point is, is Kelly could have been the backup without having to, you know, he could have run scout team, let Bryce get number two reps, still be part of the team, and still not ruin his year and lose his year. He could have done all that, but he decided, I don't want to be a part of the team anymore. That just bothers me, and that maybe I'm wrong, but that's just how I feel about it. Before we go, Chris, I'll leave you with uh, the funniest thing that I saw on Twitter uh, this week, a Twitter account called College Teammates, which uh, posts um, pictures of pro stars where they played on the same college team, which is kind of cool, a picture of an Alabama backfield where it says TJ Yeldon, Alvin Kamara, Derek Henry and Kenyon Drake That's yes. on Alabama in 2013. The best part about this picture, though, Chris, Alvin Kamara's not in it. <laughs> and Alvin Kamara tweeted out, I'm not even in that pick, brother, <laughs> with a picture of himself in his Alabama jersey number 28, uh, clearly not pictured in that picture That's of right. those players. That's right. and, he uh, spent that time, and he wanted to make the move because he saw, he saw how good of a backfield it was, and he went to Tennessee. I tell you, though, I don't want to pile on anyone, and I know he's gone, but I just can't help but say it. Alvin Kamara couldn't get on the field for Butch Jones at Tennessee. I mean, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yep. And, and it just – it that does speak volumes to the problems that they had there with Butch. God bless him. But, uh, uh, no, what about – it? they they just reload. And, boy, is Alabama content – the. I'm telling you, folks, they're playing so many young guys, mm-hmm. and they're getting prepared, and they're they're getting better and getting better and playing well and improving. I mean, this is uh, they certainly have set the standard. Yes, it's a weak schedule, but I don't know that anybody looks at it and says, you know, you can replace team A, B, C, D, and E and put you know X, Y, Z, and and they'd still be rolling over people. They're they're in a class amongst themselves, and you know the thing about it is they're in that category of. You know, just like Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, uh, they can only beat themselves. The problem is, is Alabama doesn't beat themselves. Clemson tends to do it. Sometimes Ohio State does it. Uh, Georgia hasn't done it, but they're kind of playing around with it. Other teams beat themselves. Alabama doesn't seem to do it. That's why there's such great separation. They're great, but they play to their highest optimal level most week in and week out.
Well, Chris, uh, you mentioned earlier the Landry Football Podcast, which comes out each Tuesday and Thursday. You can find episodes of that, of course, wherever podcasts are available, as well as RadioInfluence.com, but also at LandryFootball.com, where the folks there want you to join their family this football season. And you can get in on all the inside information and analysis on the college and pro game, from film room breakdowns to all the latest inside information, recruiting, draft, coaching news, and more. You get the Landry Football Podcast Tuesday and Tuesday. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Each Wednesday, you get new episodes of Rush the Field, the college football podcast here. Both of them you absolutely have to listen to and subscribe and rate and share and comment and all that fun stuff. Check out LandryFootball.com today for their best season membership package ever. For less than a magazine subscription, you can have access to the insights of a veteran coach and scout and tell them where you heard this to receive their best membership package available. So Chris, I log on to LandryFootball.com. I see the film room previews. I see the film room breakdowns what else are we looking at this week well you know that's what we really focus a lot on is the early part of the week we we review the game tape of your favorite team this past week and then with a little eye towards next week and then as we get to midweek as we get into this wednesday we'll start to preview the games for this next week and already working on that so it's uh, personnel matchups it's strategy it's what we're seeing on film and how these teams are developing uh and all the latest inside information who's available and who's starting and whatnot and um, the latest on all the different injuries. So it's one-stop shopping football. You know, for less than a magazine subscription, it's it's like having your own uh, scouting and personnel department at the college or NFL level. So whether your game is the college game or the pro game, that's what we do for you. Of course, we keep everybody up to date on recruiting, draft news and information. So if you like the college game to get prepared for who's going to go to the next level, we've got that for you in both our college previews as well as our draft notebooks every week. And be sure to follow Chris on Twitter, of course, at LandryFootball, because you get the latest uh, breaking news there as well. I'm Scott Seidenberg. You can follow me on Twitter at ScottsOnAir, S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. He is veteran coach, scout, consultant, Chris Landry. Check out LandryFootball.com. This has been Rush the Field. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and, of course, RadioInfluence.com. Chris, enjoy the games this week, and we will talk again next week. I appreciate it, bud. This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd. Quick fix on Radio Influence. From a a betting perspective, to me, this is kind of a very easy one to handicap. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, you either think Connor is going to get it done and so, obviously, it would be inside the distance, which you can get at a plus 175, or you can get him to win in the specific to the first round at, at plus 500, you know, risk 100, win 500, uh, and the win by KO is uh, plus 175. So, plus 175 inside the distance or by KO and knockout, or I'm sorry, by first, in, in the first round, 5-1. to one. Now, the normal price, you know, the regular straight price, um, right now, most books uh, are either minus 155 to minus 170 on Khabib. Uh, Connor, your you know, best underdog odds, plus 150 at five dimes. Others in the plus 30 to plus 140 range. So, but yeah, I mean, it's Khabib's fight, once it gets, you know, seven or eight minutes deep, if Connor doesn't get him before then, conventional wisdom says Khabib's going to maul him with, with wrestling and superior 
cardio, grappling, etc. But Connor's better at stand up and could possibly do some aldo treatment or um, you know get him early second. So I, I do think it's pretty easy to handicap. Now, what what is a little difficult to predict, I think, is way the way these odds are going to move between now and then. Most Connor fights we've seen all the Irish people get to Vegas and every single one of them got money from their cousin and their aunt and uncle and their money and they're, they're betting so much on Connor that, you know, maybe the odds shift and maybe to be as cheap as minus one thirty or minus one thirty five come Saturday. That would be interesting because I um I would like to be once it drifts south of minus one forty. The MMA Report with Jason Floyd can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com. 